listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, spring training has come to an end for the Yankees as they leave Florida, head north to the uh, what's going to be cold looks like at the beginning of the week, uh, northeast to New York City to open the season on Monday at home against the Astros, Masahiro Tanaka against Dallas Keuchel the same way last season ended. And joining me today to talk Yankees baseball with the 2016 season about to begin is Eric Bolin from Newsday. He's the Yankees beat writer over there. You can uh, catch him at Newsday and also on Twitter at eboland 11 Eric, how's it going today? Doing well, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's good to talk to you again. I know we've done this the last uh, couple years uh, leading into the season and uh, try to get a prediction and a preview. And I always, uh, I guess I'm sort of jealous of you since you got to spend the last six weeks in sunny Florida while we've been <laughs> fighting what, you know, we get a nice day here, then a bad day, and it snowed last weekend, it's supposed to snow again this weekend. So uh, you, you've gotten a, a nice break from it, I guess. You will never hear me complain about coming down here for six weeks starting in uh, early to mid-February and going for the next six or seven weeks. Uh, that's that's not on my list of complaints about my life, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, maybe it's not necessarily you, but I'm sure there's other people on the beat and people around the sport who, you know, after a few weeks of watching meaningless games and exhibition games and, uh, you know, watching, you know, actual major leaguers play two to three innings and then sort of expand from there, must get old pretty quickly and uh, you're probably itching to get home, but also itching to see some real games at this point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's two different issues in terms of, you know, quote, complaints about the uh, the job. I, I, I worked one, uh, you know, uh, factory job, if you will, when I was in uh, college. So I've never lose, lost sight of the fact that, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, I haven't had to work since I graduated from college. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I've been doing something in some capacity in this business, obviously not doing the Yankees for that entire time, but uh, I've been fortunate enough to get paid to go to sporting events. So I, I never, never lose sight of that. All of that said, uh, yes, uh, you do reach a certain point of diminished returns with these uh, these games, and uh, forget what the media standpoint is on it. If you talk to the the players, particularly veteran players, they'll tell you that spring training uh, really is a week, even two weeks uh, too long. Most of them think that it goes on uh, about ten to fourteen days longer than it uh, needs to. That's obviously never going to change because of the money amount of money involved uh, in playing a full twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty game exhibition uh, schedule, but uh, most of the players would tell you that uh, it goes on a little bit longer than it needs to. Well, you always hear everyone talk about how the spring training is the length it is because it's for the pitchers and the pitchers need it, and when it comes to pitching for the Yankees, we enter another season where the rotation is uh, sort of held together by tape and glue, and, and we're just waiting for that other shoe to drop, and it did at times last year. It did, you know, seemingly inconsistently at least because Tanaka would go down at one point, then Evaldi was down another point, CC was down at one point. So they were lucky that, you know, not two or three of these guys happened to go down at the same point. Um, and now we enter the season with the same question marks. You know, is it Tanaka's elbow going to hold up? How will Pineda's health? Will he finally give the Yankees a full season? Um, you know, Evaldi's coming off in elbow trouble. Sabathia's coming off his own personal issues as well as his underperforming the last three seasons. And then you have Luis Severino, who's only made 11 starts in the major leagues uh so the rotation once again is a huge question mark and it starts with Tanaka on Monday in the same exact game he pitched in October 6th at the stadium um I guess you know to start with him it was sort of comical to hear Girardi say that 
he needed to show him something in his last start. Uh, otherwise, he might have to go elsewhere for opening day as if the Yankees are, you know, stacked with aces or, or a potential number one starter. So from that standpoint, did Tanaka, you know, really ever have to prove anything to, to show that he would be starting on opening day? Well, Neil, he, he didn't have to show anything in terms of the, the bottom line results. But what the Yankees wanted to see was him. And you saw this buzzword floating around, or phrase rather, is that both Larry Rothschild and Girardi said they wanted to see him, quote, dial it up in his last outing. And, and what they suspected was, and I heard this from opposing team scouts and talent evaluators as well, is that Tanaka was pacing himself this spring to the degree where he his last couple of starts wasn't getting anything out of it because he wasn't throwing, you know, I hate putting percentages on it, but let's say he wasn't going full bore 100%. And so they wanted to make sure that the arm was capable of doing that. Uh, not that it was important that he threw four shutout innings or against the Phillies in his last start or one run or whatever the, it turned out to be, but that when he needed to, to dial it up, so to speak, uh, on the radar gun with the fastball, that he could actually physically get it up there. And I do believe that if he wasn't able to do that, uh, and all indications were both in terms of the Yankees' evaluation and the radar gun itself, is that Tanaka was able to do that. Uh, but if he wasn't able to, and, and he was still, his fastball was sitting in that 88, 89 mile an hour range, and they just didn't see the stuff being as crisp as they know it can be, I think there's a possibility they may not have started him and, and done something different. Maybe, uh, you know, flipped him, put him in extended spring training to start the season, something like that. If they felt in any way that physically he just wasn't right, because remember, they did bring him along a little bit slower than some of the other starters at, at the onset of spring training because he was coming off the bone spur surgery. Uh, I, I think that there's a possibility that they would have flipped him out of that uh, that opening day start. Again, if he was not able to, quote, dial it up as Girardi and Rothschild had uh, hoped to see him do in his last start against the Phillies, which he was able to. When you think back to his first year, two years ago in the league, and you know he started out, um, you know, ten and one, eleven and one in June, right before uh, leading up to July when he got hurt. And at that point, it was sort of like when he gave up a run, it was a shock because you just expected him to go out and, and mow each team's lineup down. And really, since the injury, I don't know if he's been more hesitant or it's he's that's always in the back of his mind that he doesn't let loose the way he used to. But uh, you know, is that do you think the league adjusting to him? Do you think? He's pitching with the idea that any second, you know, he might be done for a year, a year and a half. Or is this just, you know, the league catching up to a guy who is so good for his, you know, first 15, 16 starts in the majors? I, I think it's a combination, Neil. I, I think, first of all, if you take those first 14 starts of, of his career, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I think he was 11 um, 11 and one with a 1.99 ERA or something like that. I mean, there's very few pitchers that, that can pitch to that level on a, on a consistent basis. Now, he very clearly, when he came back last year, and by all accounts, when he wasn't on the DL, he was healthy, uh, he was not that pitcher. He wasn't bad. He had a three-and-a-half ERA, uh, so it wasn't as if he, he had suddenly developed into a, you know, gone from a number one or a number two to a, a four or a five, uh, but he clearly did not recapture, except for in some flashes, uh, what he was his first 14 career starts. And uh, the, the whys and the what-fors of that, I, I think, it is uh, a mystery to some degree. I think it is some of uh, what you mentioned where, where teams do adjust, and we sometimes forget that, and it, it's a cliche, but, you know, the other side, the other teams, get they get paid to hit the ball. Uh, they get paid, too. Um, and I also think that, and I heard this from 
opposing team scouts that they didn't think that Tanaka challenged the inside part of the plate, and he didn't pitch it as inside as he did uh, when he was really at his best uh, the, the first 14 starts of his career. A lot of times when pitchers stop trying to go inside, uh, it's because they're lacking some degree of confidence in, in their stuff. So uh, what you heard a lot from uh, Tanaka last year when he went into some you know, stretches where he wasn't as good was that he was trying to work on, on some mechanical issues. Uh, supposedly all those have been worked out, and you know, we'll, maybe we'll see what kind of a pitcher he truly is um, you know, in the long haul this season because I, I don't think we have because the torn UCL – uh, derailed him that first season, and then he had the uh, right wrist tendonitis and the right forearm strain last year that uh, that cost him some time, and uh, and then we're you know had the bone spur surgery in this off season. So over the course of a full year, we, we I don't think have discovered exactly what Masahiro Tanaka is. And behind him, you've got Pineda, then Evaldi, then Severino and Sabathia, and it's not exactly what happened two years ago when they started. Um, you know, with CC and then sort of worked the rotation backwards, going to Kuroda, then Tanaka, um, and then Pineda was the fifth starter at that point, and they sort of built the rotation backwards from the way you would have actually wanted it to be. And with Severino as the four, even though some think he's the two, or at least maybe possibly even the one, um, I understand why they did that. I understand why they put him in that spot. But around him with the injury concerns of Pineda, with the injury concerns of Evaldi, with the problems with Sabathia, um, you know, when you look at the end of this rotation with Sabathia and Nova, it's it's just sort of like what you already said about Tanaka needing to show him some show him something to be opening day starter. It was just as comical to hear him talk about the idea that they might not make Sabathia the number five starter when the guys owed twenty five million dollars once again. And if they weren't going to knock him out of the rotation last year with as bad as he was and as good as Adam Warren was, it seems like they're never gonna, or at least they're not going to, at least for the first half of this season. I, I will tell you this, Neil. Up until today the last day before they broke camp here in Tampa, they, they have the two games in Miami, obviously, to finish off the spring schedule. I agreed with, with you entirely. I, I was wondering why uh, the Yankees didn't just make him the fifth starter and get it over with. But the longer this has, has dragged on, and the more that they've gone at length to say that we're coming down to the wire and we have serious discussions to have here between Sabathia and Nova – the more I think it's actually possible that they do stick them in the bullpen. And I, I, again, when you use the word comical, uh, I, I agree with you. I did agree with you up until today because I, I now the fact that they still are doing this, uh, I can tell you for a fact that he has not complained publicly because Sabathia doesn't do that. Uh, but Sabathia is a little bit, I think, irked by this. Uh, the fact that he is getting strung along, and, and as you mentioned, a guy who's on $25 million you know, uh, this year and a vesting option uh, for next year as well. Uh, if you compare career resumes between him and Nova, uh, you, know, you, you certainly would, uh, would go with Sabathia. And Sabathia has picked decent enough in the spring uh, to where you, know, you, you would say, okay, let's give him a shot and throw him out there. Um, I, I still, I think the way to bet is that it's going to be Sabathia, but the fact that they have dragged their feet on this and Nova threw the six scoreless innings the other day against the Braves and, and the Yankees suddenly were like, oh, you know, we need to think about this a little bit longer. Um, I, I don't think they're playing a game here. I, I think that there actually is serious consideration to starting the year with Sabathia in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, I, I I would disagree with the, with making that final conclusion, but I do believe they actually are considering it, whereas, again, before today, I didn't think that that was a serious consideration. Yeah, and I feel like even if Nova had a perfect spring and Sabathia was awful, you still have to 
I mean, even though Sabathia is throwing, you know, mid to high 80s, whatever he's at now, it's still CC Sabathia going against Devon Nova, who really outside of his run towards the end of, uh, you know, his rookie season and then most of 2011 um, and then a stretch in 2013. Outside of that, he's been pretty bad for the Yankees. And I know he's, you know, just, uh, you know, coming back from Tommy John hasn't even pushed a full season since that. But I mean, I don't know what they continue to see in the guy who's, you know, 28, going to be 29 years old. He's been with this team now. Uh, This will be his seventh season in the Bronx. And I just, there's something about him they still like, but whether it's shutting out the Braves who are bad in in the regular season, let alone spring training, I just still don't get what this uh, front office and Girardi sees with Nova. I, I think you know they they are they do want to give the appearance of a, of a fair competition, and I, and I get that. Um, but there's also the reality that Nova's a free agent after this year, and he's on the open market. We we've, we've seen it uh, how many years in a row where you know pitching is at such a premium. Uh, Nova's probably going to get paid. Uh, more than he should, uh, although I guess more than you should, what does that mean exactly? Because if someone's willing to pay you, then you're getting paid what you should be paid. But, um, you know, we've seen some, let's just say, average pitchers make a lot more than one might expect on the open market. And I think Nova will fall into that category, and I don't think it's going to be by the Yankees. So, um, you know, I think they want to give the appearance of a fair competition. I think they also realize, because of some of the injury issues that you mentioned uh, at the start of the segment with their rotation, that they believe even if they put Nova in the bullpen to start the year, they're probably going to need him at some point to start. Um, and so, and vice versa with, with Sabathia, by the way, too. Um, but I, I, you know, I agree with the premise of, of, of the questions that you asked. I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I think that, you know, certainly you want Sabathia to feel that he's got to go out and, and earn the job during the, uh, during the spring. And frankly, I think Sabathia has done that. Is he a number one starter anymore? Obviously, he's not. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's a two or a three, and he might be a borderline four. But, uh, you know, two runs over five innings, thats I think most teams actually out of their fifth starter would probably take that. Um, they knew they were going to get that every time out. And uh, I, I think it's a little bit perplexing, to be honest with you, the way that they're, they're treating Sabathia, because this is a guy that is revered in that clubhouse, I can tell you that. And, uh, and, and if, if, you know, Sabathia is embarrassed, uh, I think that'll rub some people in the clubhouse the, the wrong way, particularly when he is healthy, says that he feels good, uh, and hasn't been great this spring, but hasn't been so awful where you would say, oh, goodness, there's no way we can put him in a rotation. And, again, if this was a competition between, let's say, Sabathia and Severino, then, I, it, you know, it's a, a horse of a different color. But <laughs> the fact that it is a Von Nova who has been nothing but inconsistent uh, in his Yankee career, and like you said, he's shown – flashes where he's been very good, but the hallmark of, of his, his time with the Yankees has been the inconsistency. Uh, and he hasn't been all that great this spring either. His ERA was over five this spring before <laughs> those six scoreless innings the other day. So uh, I, it's it really is, it's kind of, I'll steal a line from Casey Close, Derek Jeter's agent during those contentious uh, contract negotiations a few years ago between the, his client and the Yankees, where he said uh, the Yankees' strategy and the, the negotiations were, quote, baffling. Um, I, I am baffled. I agreed, you know, I, I didn't agree with Close uh, in that regard. I thought the Yankees actually did what they needed to do in those negotiations. I, in this particular case, I, I do find the way they're handling Sabathia a bit baffling. Well, when it comes to the bullpen, that was the one thing, just like last year, you could go into the season and count on, you know, uh, surrounding the rotation, the questions, the same with the lineup and the health of the middle of the order. But the bullpen was the one thing you could count on in the last day 
Uh, they've gone from, you know, having the, still the shutdown guys of Batanzas and Miller. Now Miller gets hit by a line drive, breaks his non-throwing hand wrist. Uh, and then you've got Brian Mitchell, who makes the team out of uh, spring training, you know, ecstatic. Everyone's happy for him. And then he sprains his toe and gets turf toe and breaks a bone running to first base, which is just, you know, hard to believe. So now it's Dellen Batanzas and Chase and Shreve, who is horrible down the stretch, even though I'm still a big Chase and Shreve guy. Uh, and then a bunch of guys who have never really been a part of this team before. So hopefully Miller, I mean, I know he said he wants to play no matter what. It's not his left hand. Um, if it takes Brian McCann rolling the ball back to him on the mound, I don't care. He, he needs to pitch at this point because the bullpen, which was the strength of this team, has all of a sudden become, you know, maybe a weakness. Yeah, look, I mean, until Miller goes out there and does it with a, a fractured bone in his left hand, uh, you know, you, you can't say that he's the sure thing that you thought he was going to be. Uh, but let's let's assume that he is. Let's let's make him a, a given just for the sake of argument. You're right. There's still a lot of questions there because uh, let's talk about who we think are absolute givens. Again, for the sake of argument, we'll put Miller in that mix. I think most people are comfortable with Batances as a closer. And Trace is free. Look, he was bad the last three weeks of the season, but I think the way he was discussed in the off season, and I was guilty of it as well, was really unfair. If you look at Chase and Shreve's 2015 season, going into September, he was not only one of the best relievers on the Yankees, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. And as late as September 5th or 6th, he still had a 1.86 ERA. I mean, this is a guy who absolutely lights out last year. And then he had bad three weeks, and you would have thought that he was coming into camp as a minor league free agent you know, pitching for a spot. And he showed very early on in camp that uh, he was, you know, the Shreve of the first five months of last season basically was back. So I'm going to say he's a given also. Um, but it's a lot more than three guys uh, you need, obviously, for a bullpen. And it's, you know, Mitchell, I think it is a huge loss. Uh, Adam Warren, what he did last year in that swingman role, I don't think that was a, a performance that it was ever fully appreciated by people because it, it's not a particularly glamorous role. But during the course of a long 162-game grind of a season, you need guys like that that can come in for a batter or two but also be flexible enough where they can give you two or three innings when your starter gets knocked out in, let's say, the, the fourth or fifth inning. Uh, or who can spot start uh, because somebody goes down. And Warren uh, fulfilled that role as well as you can possibly uh, want a guy to last year. And I think Mitchell was positioned to be even better uh, this year. Uh, and now all of a sudden, who's going to have that role? Is it going to be Luis Sessa, who hasn't pitched in the big leagues, who was originally brought in so he could be rotation depth uh, in the minor leagues, but impressed enough to the point where they said, you know what, he's one of the best 12 arms we need to take him, uh, but still unproven. Is it going to be Yvonne Nover or CC Sabathia, the loser of that fifth starter battle that we talked about? Uh, Kirby Yates, is, is, I expect he's going to make the, the bullpen. He was pretty decent, pretty good, actually, as a reliever for Tampa two years ago, then lost it completely last year, was very good this spring, didn't give up uh, any runs. Uh, but again, it, you know, he hasn't been good in, in two years. And you go on and on down the list, Johnny Barbado, uh, who the Yankees got in the Sean Kelly deal a couple of years ago from the Padres. Uh, again, he pitched terrific, but no big league experience. So, you know, it really is, you're, you're exactly right. It, it's a, a unit that collectively a week ago looked like, you know, people were talking about it being historically good. And now all of a sudden, uh, it has almost as many question marks, you could say, as the starting rotation does. 
And that's a scary thing because I think back to the day they traded really nothing for Aroldis Chapman, and of course he's suspended until the beginning of May. And you think about, um, you know, that stat where they said the the three highest strikeout percentage guys in the league last year were Chapman, Batances, and Miller, and to have them all on the same team. And now really they might break camp with one of those guys pitching. And and uh, it's it's pretty crazy that Chase and Shreve has sort of uh, become the second go-to guy if Miller somehow is out. But uh, like you mentioned, all these other no-namers and guys who have you know, either not been on the team, not been in the majors, or had a cup of coffee in the majors. It, it really is a very young and youthful bullpen. And uh, I was sort of surprised to see Jacob Lindgren get sent down so early in camp. I know he had uh, a minor surgery, and he wasn't very good last year. But uh, he's still just two years removed from getting drafted, and I still think he'll be a big uh, part of this bullpen, you know, probably at some point midsummer, hopefully at least, because that will show that he's proven himself again in the minors. But it would be nice if he was, you know, a little more ahead of schedule as he was two years ago, right after he got drafted. Yeah, I think with Lindgren, it's just for the case of he came into camp and he was in the mix. I mean, he was one of eight, ten guys who were going to be considered for these middle inning uh, jobs. And but you know, look, guys coming off of surgery, it usually takes a little bit longer than what the original diagnosis is typically for these guys. And uh, he, he didn't come in sharp and had a 15 ERA, something like that, after three or four appearances. And uh, they had no choice but to send him out and just have him go to minor league camp, pitch in minor league games, uh, get right, start the season in the minors and, and see if he can work his way up, which is what he basically did last year. Um, so I, I don't think it was a big surprise that, uh, that Lindgren uh, – you know, got sent out, I, I think that his performance kind of necessitated it. But again, I, and I think, Neil, and this is worth talking about, I think one of the most over-discussed, over-publicized, you know, hyped, whatever story of any spring training, and I'm guilty of it too, I'm not separating myself from the masses here, um, is the obsession with the opening day 25-man roster. <laughs> because, and you know this, Neil, watching baseball yeah. a long time, I, it, it we all obsess over it. And again, I'm not separating myself from the group here and, and, and you do and, and you know, your listeners do and fans do and media do and, and everyone else. The reality is is that that twenty five man roster that starts opening day, changes start occurring pretty much within two or three days of that. Uh, and they don't stop until the end of the season, basically. So um, you know, very few teams end the season, actually no teams, end the season with the same 25-man roster that they started uh, the year with. It's just sort of the nature of the beast. So, you know, we get all excited about it. And it is great for the, the players, and it's great for a young kid like Barbado, who, you know, looked like a kid on Christmas morning today when we were talking to him about making the opening day roster. I'm, I'm not degrading it to the point of saying that it's it's meaningless to the players. The young players especially, it, it means a whole heck of a lot. But in terms of importance, um, to the to the long term season, it, it really is almost not. Well, when it comes to the offense, the position players, the lineup, uh, exactly the same. You know, outside of adding Starlin Castro this season and losing Stephen Drew, which is a pretty serious upgrade because of how bad Stephen Drew was and the fact that Ref Schneider should have been up well before he was, and the idea that they went all summer. Well, you and I, you, you and I, Neil, are never going to agree on Rob Ref Schneider. <laughs> I, I could just, I know we've had this discussion for for. Two years now, but we, we will never agree on Rob Reston. Well, I will just tell you. I will just tell you this: I have not talked to one opposing team scout or talent evaluator that thinks that he has a position to play in the big leagues. And I know, you know, the media has hyped him. And this time, I will separate myself from a, a lot of people in the media. Not all, but you know, a, a decent amount. 
Um, you talk to other teams, and they wonder what the obsession is with with this guy. He, he's, he had 14 home runs in a minor league season one year, and you would have thought that the Yankees had Joe Morgan on the way. <laughs> well, it just seems like for them to go all summer, give the kid a minimal chance where he he did you know all right and whatever he played six games between against Boston, I think Seattle, and then they sent him back down, and then he's the guy who's starting at second base in a one game playoff must win for their season over the two guys who were there all season. I think just goes to show you that you know he probably should have been there all summer. Maybe uh, maybe they're not playing in that one game playoff if 500 at bats are wasted between Drew and Ryan. But I do get what you're saying. I, I mean, for so many people to not you know be on board with him and not understand where he should be in the field or if he should really be anywhere and if his bat is good enough to not really have a position. But to not even you know I understand there was a couple balls that hit him in the face last week, but. For for that to not happen, he's probably the bench guy on this team. Instead, they go a different direction. Uh, that with, absolutely was not. That absolutely was not going to happen. It, I, I, I just, there was. Do you honestly think, Neil, that the New York Yankees were going to have as their backup third baseman a guy who had never played the position before, March the sixth of this year in, in spring training? I mean, do you that, honestly leave the two balls to the face. If that didn't happen, that the Yankees were going to put a neophyte as their backup third base, they have enough trouble with the guy who's starting at third base enough questions about whether or not he can field or not and fix the problems that he had last year, that that's who they're going to have as their backup third base and someone with absolutely no experience at the position. Well, they they played Drew at second. They did A-Rod at first. It's not like they haven't Steven done Drew, this Steven before. Drew's been a big league player for how many years? That's fair. That's fair. I guess, and, it's, I guess, and, it's shown, and it's shown, no matter what you want to say about his hitting, which obviously leaves a lot lacking, he can get in front of a ground ball. That's true. That's a fair point. And and as and as a reserve infielder, it's almost like the backup catcher position. They don't care about the offense. It's can you can you can you catch the ball? Can you receive? Can you get in front of a ground ball if you're talking about an infield? I mean that an infielder. That that's the number one criteria with those backup positions because you're going to be out there once a week, once every 5 days, whatever, and the pitchers need to know that you can you know, if you get four balls hit to you, you're going to stop them. Well, my hope was that he would learn third well enough, either in the offseason, spring training, or hopefully during this season, to the point that Chase Headley would be no more because after <laughs> 25% of this contract, unless he has a, you know, a 180 this season, uh, that wasn't exactly the best you deal know, when you look at what's the Neil, Neil I've, noticed, I've noticed on your Twitter feed you're not the biggest fan. No, I'm not, and I feel like when you look at what they paid him and what they traded Solarte for, who people just thought was you know a glorified minor league player, but to have similar numbers to Headley, making you know thirteen million dollars less than him uh, for less of the errors, there's no power there. Uh, it just pains me to, to continue to watch Chase Headley, and I'll give him a clean slate starting Monday, and hopefully he turns it around. But uh, I don't know; it's it's a hard one to catch on with. Neil, I think your clean slate will last until he goes zero for one. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I'll, I'll call him, you on that. I follow, I follow you on Twitter. I'll be paying attention on Monday. Uh, you well, I'll give I, him. I'll give him enough time that you know, maybe not the greatest sample size, like a half season or something, but <laughs> an, a, enough time for him to prove himself. I'm waiting for the first, ladies and gentlemen, Chase Headley. <laughs> who is who? Now, here I'll ask you a question. Who do you think your very first? If you're a betting man, which of course we, we we don't promote that type of activity on the on the podcast, or maybe we do. I have no idea. Maybe maybe oh maybe we do. There, maybe there's a sponsor. I don't know. Um, and if there isn't, well, there should be. If who is your first? You know, if this is a prop bet, who do you think your first, ladies and gentlemen, player X will be? I think it will be 
Mark Teixeira versus the field. And I think okay. I think he would be like minus 250 and then the field would be like plus 300 because there's no doubt about it. He, I don't know. Me and Mark Teixeira and I are, are not the uh, – I have a love-hate relationship with him. But, um, you know, hopefully him wanting to play past this season, needing a contract past this season, whether it's with the Yankees or someone else maybe willing to give him a two- or three-year deal if he can hit 30, 35 home runs again, uh, hopefully that's enough motivation for him to uh, to stay healthy and to be the player he was last year before his broken leg. You, you do realize that before that broken leg, he was a borderline MVP candidate. Oh yeah, I mean I have no borderline. Problem. I mean I'm not putting I'm not putting him in the same category as as you know the Trouts of the world, but in terms of the what he was bringing to the Yankees until he followed that ball off his leg, which turned out to be the, the fracture. He he was in that discussion. He's at the he was at the periphery of it, but he was in that discussion. Oh yeah, and I think you know I'll be the first to admit that he was having a great season for a thirty five year old guy who is not what he once was in two thousand nine. But at the same time, I'm not one of these people that lets you know his hundred and eleven games last year erase what happened the year before and the year before that and the year before that and the three post seasons before that. So. He needs to okay, do that again. But, right, but we, we also, those two, you know, you say the season before that, the season before that, two of those years were basically ruined by the wrist surgery. Oh, I understand. And and I and I know he had, that's a serious injury. I know the uh, the leg last year was a serious injury that went misdiagnosed. But in between that, he also um, talked with the Wall Street Journal about his inevitable decline, talked about, uh, you know, how baseball games are too long these days. He missed time with lightheadedness, uh, tired well, legs dis- from being on the bases. Who can, dis- who can disagree? Who can disagree that baseball games are too long sometimes? <laughs> well, I think, I think his injury for the tired legs on the bases will, will always take the cake and always have a special place in my heart. So, who's, so, so but just to be fair, you can't make him the first lady and gentleman unless in your eyes he truly deserves it, not so you can just win this. No, prop no, bet. I won't. I'll do someone this, who... This, non- this non-existent prop bet. Like last year, I think... On opening day, I'm pretty sure I gave it to Didi when he tried to steal third against the Blue Jays, which was very warranted, I feel like. Yes. And Didi, who, by the way, after that horrendous first six weeks, was actually one of the more consistent Yankees last year. Yeah, and I was hard on him at first, and, uh, you know, I've come around to him, but I think, um, you know, between Ellsbury and Teixeira, I, I, I actually will put Ellsbury and Teixeira and then the field as a separate thing because. I'm very anti-Jacoby Ellsbury. I was during his time in Boston. I was when they gave him $153 million as a 30-year-old center fielder. So um, for, a, for a guy who could end up being going down as the worst Yankee ever when you factor in performance and contract at the same time, if he doesn't pick it up, um, he, he actually might have Mark share beat on this bet. Worst Yankee ever. When you, when you talk when about you talk, how, wow, that's a, well, what about inflation with like a guy like Ed Whitson? Well, I feel like when you, yeah, I, I'd have to, you know, get the inflation calculator off Google. But when you think about twenty-one point one million dollars a year to hit single-digit home runs, to you know, to <laughs> the guy got benched in the biggest game of in the last three years for the Yankees. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard for him. But you know, like I said, clean slate come Monday, and then we'll go from there. But he needs to. Have even he needs to have a, a better year than Teixeira and Headley combined, probably times five, to make up for what he's done the last two years. So basically, even if he put up Miguel Cabrera numbers based on what you just said, he would still have a little bit of work to go in your eyes to no, I think, be back in your in your good graces. Well, I think that would do it, but I think you know we're, we like 
2011 is never going to happen for him. It happened once in his entire career, so that was an anomaly. But somewhere, you know, if he gives us, you know, maybe somewhere around what he did his last year in Boston, which, you know, at least come close to hitting 300, you know, get on base. The problem with him is that him and Gardner are the same exact player, and one of them happened to get a $153 million contract, and you put them both at the top of the order, which is why, I feel like Starling Castro should hit second no matter what, is that they're so streaky. They, I think Gardner and Ellsbury have to be number one and two streakiest hitters in all of baseball, and they always seem to get cold and hot at the same time, and the Yankees live and die by them because then there's nobody on base for the, for the heart of the order. So um, it's been really frustrating, and I feel like you have to break them up, and I know he's going to stack them against right-handed pitching, um, but it'll be nice to see Castro hopefully hitting second on opening day, and I feel like there's no way he's going to bench Ellsbury after what happened against Keiko last time. Well, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see Monday's lineup because I, I think it's a, it's a difficult argument to make how you can't bench one of those guys and get Hicks in there against Keiko because Keiko's numbers is so ridiculous against the Yanks last year. You almost have to. And I, and I actually think that if Jesus Montero had actually performed this spring and somehow was the backup catcher, there's a slight chance you would have seen him in there as a starting day catcher. Let's say he would just play fantasy land if he had hit nine home runs this spring and, and seized that backup catching job. There's a chance you could have seen him, and this is me just speculating, maybe in there as the opening day catcher because you, you obviously want to stack that lineup against uh, Keuchel with right-handed uh, hitters. I, I think one of those guys very well may well, I, I'll put it at 50-50. I feel strongly both ways, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if you had uh, either Gardner or Ellsbury sitting against Keiko on Monday. Yeah, I just feel like after the drama that went down in the 1-8 playoff and the fact that Gardner you know, started spring late because of his injury, they have a way to sort of hide it if they decide to bench him because I'm sure you know, for you guys, the first question is going to be asked of, why you know Gardner was benched over Ellsbury? Why Ellsbury is benched over Gardner? And Joe's going to need a built-in answer. So, um, or or the or the third possibility: Why aren't one of them benched? That's true, and I think you have. I mean, they're going to have to because this is the whole idea of Aaron Hicks being on the team. But um, you know, it, it kind of sucks that they're starting the season the same way they ended it against Keuchel because opening day is you know the greatest day of the calendar year, and to have it come you know on a day where. The weather is actually looking like it might be better, though. There's flurries in the forecast the day before and after it. But to have it come at home against Dallas Keuchel the same way it ended in October isn't the most ideal situation. No, but, you know, as I said earlier in the, in the segment, Neil, one of the most overblown uh, parts of any baseball season is that opening day 25-man roster. I would follow up to say that, that opening day itself also falls into that category. There is such a reaction to what happens on opening day uh, that it's almost comical. I'll steal one of your lines from earlier in the podcast. It, it is comical, the overreaction uh, that takes place based on opening day. And again, I, I'm in the media and, and we are every bit as much a part of that as, um, as fans are uh, in terms of, of just blowing it all out of proportion. Uh, but the reality is, is if the Yankees lose to Dallas Keuchel on, on opening day and fall to 0-1, I, I am fairly certain there's still 161 games left, <laughs> and, 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 and that will not portend for much of anything uh, the rest of the season. Just the same way, by, by the way, if they win and find a way to beat Dallas Keuchel or get him out of the game and then win in the late innings, uh, they're still only 1-0. 
Yeah, and I think that's part of the built-in day off after opening day in case opening day gets rained out and the fact that there hasn't been a game in six months um, sort of adds to that hype you talked about. But that, cert- that hype certainly does exist because people react to it as if it's, you know, Game 7 of the World Series. But, um, you know, you asked me about betting on, on the ladies and gentlemen, and I have a, a, a similar question for you in that the Yankees game on Monday will be their first in 181 days, and then they have an off day on Tuesday so who is going to get the unexpected, you know, built-in day off in game two of the season after having six months off? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure anybody will. I mean, maybe, maybe you'll see. I, I haven't looked that far ahead to see who Houston is pitching in game two. Um, I'm not sure anybody's going to get a, a built-in day off for, for the second game of the season. The, the, but the, the uh, fact that you had to think about it and me to ask it shows you that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Joe Girardi will say, like, you know, A-Rod's getting the day off <laughs> in game two of the season. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of doubt that. I guess you, you never rule anything out. But, uh, you know, I, the, the criticisms of Girardi giving guys day off, I, the one thing that in covering this sport, and I covered the NFL before covering baseball. I, people don't realize how physically demanding 162 games is. And while a, a NFL locker room after a game is a, a unique specimen in and of itself because of the, the physical pounding that guys take, uh, you go through a, a major league clubhouse in, uh, in August, and you would be shocked the amount of treatment that guys are getting. Um, and I'm not saying that, that I'm not equating it to digging ditches or, or working in a factory or, or, you know, comparing it to hard labor or anything like that. Um, but the, the fact that people think that, oh, they just play baseball, 162 games out of the year. <laughs> what fun. It's, you would be shocked the amount of punishment that 25 year olds feel on their bodies come August, let alone guys who are 35, 36, 37, 38. I think the criticism of Girardi giving guys days off and, and giving guys strategic days off to try to keep them fresh for September is is kind of unfair. All right, Eric. Well, thanks for coming on. I know you've got to, to get ready to head back up here to the somewhat cold weather, though it's supposed to be nice this weekend, at least uh, Friday, Saturday. And then, uh, Everything starts on Monday for the next six months. Uh, thanks for coming on. And I know, you know, the last few years we've done this heading into the season, we've sort of given a, an expectation or prediction towards the end. And uh, things haven't always been looking so great for the Yankees the last few years, even though we got somewhat of a, a postseason baseball last year. What do you think is going to happen for the Yankees this season? I was, you know, the last two years, I, I was, I think, within a game of being correct two years ago. I was dead on. I think I picked them to win 85 or 86, and I was one off. And I'm not bragging because of what I'm going to tell you next. Last year, I picked them to win 79 games. <laughs> and I'm obviously way off on that. And they, they uh, made the postseason uh, as wildcard postseason berths uh, do count. Uh, I'm not saying they necessarily should, they shouldn't, but they did make the postseason. And I was way off on that prediction. Uh, for our Newsday preview section, which, uh, which comes out this weekend, I believe I had them at 88 and making the wild card again. And who'd you have for the division? Believe it or not, I picked Tampa. Oh, all right. As long as it wasn't Boston, we can uh, we can end on that note. <laughs> no, you know, I always think that and you you notice this, uh, I'm sure as well, Neil, is that the, the the teams generally that get overwhelmingly praised for quote winning the off season almost always turn into disappointments. And uh, while I think Boston will be better than they were last year, 
I, I still don't buy their pitching staff. Um, I don't see where where a dramatic improvement is going to take place there. Again, I think they will be uh, better than they were a year ago, but it's also hard to imagine them being that much worse. And before I before I let you go, I know um, you know from reading your Twitter that, that you're a big Browns guy. Are you sad to see the end of the Johnny Manziel era? <laughs> you know, we could do an entire podcast on growing up a Browns fan. Um, it's I'll, I'll put it this way. Since 1999, when the Browns came back as an expansion team, if they had intentionally tried to lose, <laughs> like the, that was the charge of whoever was running the team was to make you know as bad draft picks as possible and pick the worst head coaches and pick the worst quarterbacks and on and on and on. If they had intentionally tried to lose 16 games a year, they would not have done worse than they have done. <laughs> you almost people say you have to try to be that bad. I disagree. I don't think if you were trying to be that bad, you would be as bad as the Browns have been since 1999 and as dysfunctional as they've been. So um, it is um, it is one of the strangest franchises in professional sports. And I, I think that's why I had, when I covered the Jets, uh, I always felt I had a little bit of a connection with Jets fans because uh, once they saw my uh, bio that I'd grown up in Cleveland and grown up a, a Browns fan. I, I, in fact, remember getting an email from somebody saying, well, we don't like the fact that you're not from New York and that you're an outsider, but uh, you grew up in Cleveland and grew up a Browns fan, so you do know what pain and suffering is like. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, thanks again for coming on. I hope you enjoyed Florida. I hope you, you enjoy coming back up to New York and uh, have a safe flight back. Neil, thanks so much. I always enjoy talking with you.